This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Almost exactly 5.05 in the evening. It is the evening edition with Lynn and Kelvin. And it is time for our monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall, where we invite policymakers, civil society members to come in and answer some of the most pressing questions you have. Today with us is Datuk Liu Voikyong, who is the Law Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. First things first, Datuk, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for inviting Thank you so much. And before we get to our questions, if there's anything you would like to ask the minister, call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. You can also tweet us at BFM Radio. Wow. So I guess the first question we wanted to ask you is that it's been something close to a year and a half, let's say, which is rounding up uh, since you took on this portfolio. When you when you did accept it, what were your personal goals and priorities that you were thinking of achieving in this term? Oh, let me start. When I started, uh, it was on the bedrock of prayers and hope from all the Malaysians to have uh, this new government. And I came in in July last year. And then soon after that, uh, the first parliamentary sitting started on the 16th of July. And it was uh, quite, quite a lot of work then because I was then also tasked to look into the parliamentary affairs. And, uh, and with that... Uh, the work started to come in, and of course, the top priorities for me is to ensure that uh, justice uh, can be accessed by all here in Malaysia easily and quicker. And I think the uh, most important thing is to ensure that uh, it will not burden the people who want to access to justice. Now, in 2008, you were Sandakan MP under LDP, which was then under the BN coalition. Have you observed differences in serving as Deputy Minister and now Minister in two different administrations? <laughs> Thank you for asking these questions. Well, when I came in then in 2008, I was also the Deputy Minister in uh, the International Trade and Industry. Mm. I was serving then under the leadership of Patla as the Prime Minister then. And that uh, subsequently, two thousand nine, uh, when uh, Dr. Sri Najib came in, I was met the deputy minister in the prime minister's department in charge also of the same portfolio. Of course, the most uh, distinct uh, difference is that uh, you know, as a full minister, uh, you will have the full power and decisions uh, to to make. And I think that is the essential difference. And and also, I think the jobs that I'm undertaking at the moment uh, has been. Uh, has been massive and has been uh, tremendous. Uh, to it's, 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 not, it's, it's quite a different from the last time. In terms of scope, right? Definitely so. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and part of that scope is that we've been talking a lot about law reform. You know, every time we, we look at the law in our country, it seems almost as if there's definitely going to be someone who says, well, you know, aren't we going to reform? Isn't it time for that? And in January this year, you announced that over 100 laws were under review, but that identifying which laws are to be amended, renewed or repealed hasn't been finalised yet. Um, do you have any updates for us there? Yes, uh, first of all, I think we have to understand that not all the laws come under my purview. They are ownerships. Ownership in this case means that uh, some of the laws are owned by the various uh, ministry. The minister in charge of that ministry will have to come up with a policy direction with regard to that particular law. What do they want to do with it? And that, uh, then, then the whole motion will start once they have decided to either repeal, amend, or to, uh, have a new law. 
once that is said, then uh, the respective uh, jawatan kuasa, the task force, we sit down and then uh, look into it. And then, of course, uh, the most important player in this case is the Attorney General Officer who will advise the government of the day with that particular law. Uh, and the process will have to, 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 to start by engaging with all the various uh, stakeholders with the particular law that they wish to, to admit. In my uh, portfolio, I think there are certain laws that are under me, uh, one of which at this moment, uh, which is a very hot topic, is really got to what we known as the IPCMC mm. right, bill, which is the Independent Police uh, uh, Complaints on the Misconduct of the Police Officers. And that's something we'll get to uh, later in our conversation. But just on that note about the process of law reform and I guess just changing policies, it does sound like it's quite a long process, one that might seem a bit bureaucratic. Uh, in your experience, what have been some of the complexities involved when it comes to law reform? I think the most important thing, as I said just now, is to get the minister in charge of that particular ministry uh, to come out with a policy direction. When they decide, let's say uh, they want to abolish a particular law, then that will be easier. Then all the, the policy uh, makers, the uh, officer, will, will, will sit down. But the most complex uh, uh, procedures, I guess, is with regard to the engagement with all the, the relevant uh, stakeholders, especially members of the public. Because there are certain law can be the very, very the sensitive to some, while uh, some uh, will take it, uh, you know, from a different angle. Uh, this is where I think engagement with the uh, public is very, very important. Public opinions uh, play a certain role as well to to, to, to tell the uh, lawmakers, and especially the policymakers in this case, as to whether it uh, is popular or not popular. Right. We're speaking today with Datuk Liu Vuikyong, who is the Law Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. Again, just a reminder that if you have any questions, we're talking about law reform right now, but we're also going to be addressing things like the IPCMC. We might also touch on the Sedition Act. So if you just have any thoughts on the state of law in our country um, or anything at all that you'd like to ask Datuk VK, you can call us, 7733-2900. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, um, um, there is a question that we do have to ask, and it is one that we have asked, I think, almost all the ministers that we've spoken to yes. in the course of um, doing this town hall, which is that law reforms across the board was a huge part of the manifesto, uh, particularly in terms of abolishing certain laws. Uh, however, we have seen a certain amount of back and forth. I think you've also explained why that might be to a degree. Uh, but we do want to ask, do you think the manifesto ultimately was too ambitious in terms of um, translating that into real-life action, into what you now have to deliver as a minister? We have to understand that the manifesto was met before the election was held. They subsequently, when Pakatan Harapan came into power, then the manifesto became like the, the, the guide book for Pakatan Harapan to look at. But we must not forget that soon after that, when uh, Dr. Mahathir uh, became the uh, seventh prime minister, the first thing he did was to uh, was to engage the eminent people, whereby the institutional reform committee was formed to look into the various uh, law reforms that uh, required to be undertaken. Not only law reform, but of course, uh, institutional reform, civil service, and all the other uh, relevant uh, institutions. So they come out with the recommendations. Uh, 
in in a period of about uh, six months, and and that was made from all the uh, manifesto that had been uh, uh, created. They look into that and then uh, they come out with the recommendation. So this is where I'm based my works based on that uh, IRC, and and to say that uh, it is. Uh, It is a, a giant uh, manifesto, but uh, I, I think it is a very good guidebook, uh, guidance uh, for Pakatan Harapan to, to look at. And, and it's, so far as I'm concerned, I have uh, started to, to implement the various uh, uh, reforms that had been recommended by the uh, IRC. So what's a realistic expectation for you know, how quickly laws can change, can be amended or abolished? Well, I mean, uh, if you ask that question, I think uh, then we have to look back at the history of our countries. I mean, before that, uh, we were uh, colonized by the British government. So during that time, they had introduced a set of law uh, to govern this country. Subsequently, after independence, the law have continued. So some of the law that had been with us before independence are still with us today. So the process to, to repeal or amend or introduce new law is not It's not like a, a piece of cake that can be done overnight. It takes sometimes a, a, a generation, maybe. A bit. We, we, we just look at the uh, law uh, on uh, like the ISA before, mm-hmm. right? The ISA was introduced back in the 50s, and it took uh, almost uh, 50 years uh, for it to be abolished by the previous government, of which at that time I was there. And and so to, to say that the law must be repeal must be abolished immediately we have we have to look at it uh, you know holistically and to look at the suitability of that law to to the country at a given uh, uh, circumstances a given conditions We're speaking today with Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, who is the law minister in the Prime Minister's department. Um, we've been talking about law reforms. Up next, we're going to turn our attention to this issue of hate speech. If you have any thoughts, send them through. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Our lines are open, and we'll be back to continue this conversation after this. It's the evening edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. It's 5.16 in the evening. You're with Lynn and Kelvin. And live in the studio with us is Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, who is the law minister in the Prime Minister's Department. This is our Movers and Shakers Town Hall. Usually this happens an hour later, but we're moving it up uh, a little bit today. So... Call us. Our lines are open. If you have any questions at all, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. And first up on the line, we have Dava. Dava, good evening. What is your question? Good evening to all of y'all. The question is, uh, why hasn't the Sedition Act been repealed? And also the, uh, you know, the UUCA. It also has to be repealed, isn't it? Dawa, thank you so much for your question. YB? Thank you. Thank you, Dawa, for this uh, question. In fact, the government has already decided to repeal the Sedition Act. Decision has been made. It's just that uh, uh, the repeal will have to be tabled in Parliament. The process is still being uh, undertaken by the Home Ministry. And, of course, there are some provisions in the Sedition Act that need to be Uh, transported to to the penal court, and that is also under under progress at this moment. And then once that is done, I think uh, 
we will see it uh, being done in parliament. If not in this uh, October sitting, uh, I would expect it to be done in the March sitting uh, next year. Now, with that said, um, Islamic Affairs Minister Datuk Sri Mujahid Yusuf Rawa has expressed the intention to include laws to curb hate speech um, as part of the Sedition Act. So, um, will it be then a new set, a new act, perhaps that will incorporate that, or you know, how is this going to work? In fact, we have decided to incorporate that into the penal code. Our penal code at this moment uh, have provisions that cater for some of the issues that you have raised just now, but. Uh, we are also t- taking into the co- the provision under the Sedition Act. So that process is being uh, undertaken at this moment, and I hope that, uh, as I said, uh, we'll be able to table the, the amendment to the penal court uh, sometimes in in, t- in in this coming parliamentary sessions. So, you know, moving on to talking about the National Harmony Bill, there are plans to have one to regulate hate speech, uh, and it's also been mooted before in the past. Is there any sort of development with that bill? Well, Kevin, as I had said before, the opposite of hate is love. So these are the feelings that uh, with us as uh, humans, I think uh, we have to to look into the context that, you know, if we love one another, we don't really need to have the hate speech law at all. But then, of course, uh, uh, the government has decided that uh, we are going to transport that into the penal court. So the penal court will cater for that. We need to amend the penal court to include uh, the provisions to ensure that uh, our citizens will not necessarily make, uh, you know, uh, remarks that uh, will incite uh, hatred feelings uh, against each other. We are a multiracial society. I think we have to ensure that uh, we look at what we have in common rather than what we have uh, differently. I think the focus must be that to ensure that the unity will continue uh, to progress in our country. We also have uh, a comment here from WhatsApp uh, from Umaira who wants to know, um, could Datuk comment on the recent ruling of the High Court on the Sisters in Islam case? What is the trajectory of the ministry in dealing with bodies such as a fatwa council, which is not democratically elected uh, and not, you know, not at all accountable to the people but can pass decisions such as this? Yeah, I think this decision was made by the Sha'alia court, which is not really in my purview. Uh, it is under the, uh, the, the, the Minister of uh, Religious Affairs, uh, my colleagues, uh, Dr. Sri Mujahid. I think uh, he'll be the best uh, person to, to, to answer this question. If you have any other questions that you would like to address to Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, do send them through. Again, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So I'd just like to briefly go back to the, the talk, talking about the hate, uh, how to curb hate speech in the country, right? What are the considerations when you are thinking of doing that? How do you balance that with uh, freedom of speech, for example? Well, when we look at the concept of freedom of speech, not everything that we say is is uh, enshrined with freedom because uh, there are certain restrictions that uh, we, we are guided by. Uh, for example, uh, we are not at liberty uh, to just simply say something that is defamatory of a person. I think uh, we have to, to, to restrict ourselves from making unnecessary uh, statements against ones because if that is the case, then t- that person who has been slender and where... Uh, you know, who has been surrendered would be entitled under the law uh, to file defamatory actions against that person. So I think uh, restriction on the freedom of speech uh, must be controlled uh, by law. Like, you know, if you are in the in the cinema, 
we are not free just to go into the cinema and simply scream uh, fire and then cause uh, panic to those people in the cinema. And then after that, if that person is being uh, detained, then he said, that, oh, this is my freedom uh, to, to, to shout like that. No, that you don't have that freedom because uh, your freedom to do things with uh, intentions to cause a panic uh, is not uh, free and you have to be uh, liable for your action. I think we have to look at that context. Uh, we, of course, uh, we in the government, we are we are uh, liable to be criticized by members of the public. I think uh, I, I have no problem with that. Our prime minister have no problem on that. I, in fact, the entire cabinet have no problem on that. But it's just that I think criticism must be constructive and that uh, it must uh, not be personal. Because once you be personal, then that is another different issue so where that person can actually take uh, action against you if that, uh, uh, that amounts to defamations. Right. Um, I'd like to know something actually about that point about criticism because I think many people still feel sometimes as if they, they cannot criticise uh, people in power or perhaps if they do that they're not heard. So as ministers, I mean, how much do you take on board criticism that you hear and where are you hearing that from? You know, are people writing to you? Are people, do you hear it from your constituents? You know, where where is this feedback coming from? Well, I think uh, if you look at the advancement of uh, technology, at this <laughs> stage, uh, you know, we, we have all forms of criticism coming on from through the social medias. And I think we have to take it uh, with a pinch of salt. And then at times uh, we have to rise above it and then see, uh, you know, if it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt us. I think uh, if it is too personal, I think uh, we will have to uh, deal with it uh, personally. But then uh, uh, my constituents uh, have also uh, criticized me for this and that. I will go and deal with them and then tell them that uh, these are the uh, issues that uh, I have and that what, what are the issues that you have with me. I will, I will deal with them hands on. I think it is important that uh, we understand uh, why the criticism is being made uh, against us as minister. So speaking of criticism or feedback that you might like to give, you can send them through today, actually, sure. by calling double seven double three two nine hundred, WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, since the government announced that they would abolish the death penalty, the discussions have sort of gone back and forth. Uh, the latest proposal allows judges to have discretion to, improve, uh, to impose the death penalty. Um, why did you seem to settle on this? Well, would you see as a middle ground approach uh, and why would you settle on this? Okay, let me first explain uh, the offences that attract uh, death penalties in the country. At this moment, we have 33 offences that attract penalty. If anyone's uh, being charged and convicted under these 33 offences, the uh, sentence will be death penalty. So 11 of which are capital punishment offences that attract mandatory. That's if you are charged, let's say, for murder, plus the other nine offences involving terrorism, plus another one against the king, then if you are found guilty of that, then you'll be uh, sentenced to death. That is mandatory. While the other 22 offences are discretionary, where the judge will have the, the discretion whether to grant death penalty or imprisonment uh, for life or whipping or both, the, the latter two parts. So uh, the, the process has been going on for almost uh, nine months now. Uh, the, but there has been a pushback because uh, uh, the, the populations, uh, the, the, the general public uh, look at it uh, as uh, where we have a group of uh, 
people where the loved one had been murdered, right? And then while we have the other group where they had been detained in prison for a number of years. So there are two sections here, right? Uh, and, and I have met both of them. I have listened to them. I have uh, explained to them that uh, in the case of a murder where a person has been convicted by the court, let's say the high court, it doesn't mean that that person will be uh, sentenced to death by hanging immediately despite the ruling made by the court because there is still the appellate stage that uh, that, that convicted person has to go through and then, of course to the federal court. And if the federal court confirmed the decision of the uh, court of appeal plus the high court, it doesn't mean that the person can be hanged immediately because we still have the pardon board in our country. The pardon board is the highest and powerful body uh, which is chaired by the respective ruler of the state. And they will decide whether to commute the sentence that has been given by the court. And and the, the, the thing is that uh, sometimes the pardon board uh, will take uh, a while to, to, to hear the clemency petitions uh, by the convicted person by the court. So the process can be can be long. It doesn't mean that uh, once a high court uh, sentence that person, it will be hanged. Normally, on average, it's about 10 to 15 years. And there's one guy who has been languishing in prison for almost uh, 30 years, waiting to be executed. So these are the, the situations that I have to, to, to deal, and I have met both of them, and the government come out with the with the uh, decision that uh, we are taking away this uh, mandatory death sentence and then give it to the judge to decide whether he wants or she wants to pass a death sentence or imprisonment to those person who has been charged for uh, death penalty offences. So we're going to be continuing this conversation after the 5.30 news. With us live in the studio is Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, Law Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. And of course, Send us your questions. Call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. We're going to uh, be still talking a little bit about the death penalty, yep. but also focusing a lot on the IPCMC because I think people will have a lot of questions about that. So do keep it here on the evening edition, BFM eighty nine point nine. Break from monotony, BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 5.35 in the evening. You're with Lin and Kelvin and live in the studio with us, Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, who is the Law Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. Uh, our phone lines are open. Our Twitter feed is open. <laughs> um, everything is open, yeah. basically. You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, we do have a question here from Reeve, who um, I think in reference to our conversation earlier about this idea of freedom of speech, wants to know, how do you think freedom of speech will improve our society? And does the internet open up the possibilities of totally free speech and freedom of expression? Well, as I said, uh there have been abuses on the usage of uh, internet. Uh, unfortunately, we see uh, certain quarters are using the social medias to spread fake news and false information uh, against uh, many personalities, against individuals, against organizations, against the government. I think uh, if we have that uh, kind of a freedom uh, too freely, it is, it's, it's very sad that uh, the, the, the abuses are out there to abuse that privilege that has been given to them. Uh, I think the important thing is that uh, for them to be responsible and 
and also I think there are situations where when we receive uh, information that we cannot verify as to the truth, I think we should not forward it and make it viral. And and I think the freedom of uh, information will have to to pay a, to a certain price here. You see, and and, and it's unfortunately that. Uh, I think in any country they will have to control that kind of uh, information being spread uh, irresponsibly by certain quarters uh, for their political agendas or certain hidden agendas. We also have this question from Diagu who asks, is the government ready to amend the constitution to give effect in uh, the law based on Indira Gandhi's case where consent of both parents are needed for uh, conversion? In fact, this uh, issue had been decided by the federal court. The federal court has made it's very clear that uh, the word parents include both father and mother. And that has been settled. I think uh, the, the need to amend that uh, constitution, I think, uh, does not arise. The court has already made that ruling. But uh, I can look into that if there is the need to do that. But I guess in, in the case of Selangor, for example, where there are uh, recent movements to introduce unilateral conversion, how does that take into account the conversation that perhaps might be happening on the federal level? As you know very well that the federal uh, law prevails over state law. Mm-hmm. So any uh, state law that had been passed by the respective uh, state assemblies uh, will not be uh, enforceable. It will be seen as unconstitutional. And we also have another question from Tiago who wants to know, are there any plans to take out the law reform division from the AGC to be made by an independent law reform commission uh, instead of being controlled by the AG in order to give um, a serious independent effect? Yes, uh, law commission is uh, one of it which is lacking in our countries. Uh, If you look at the commonwealths throughout the world, about 150 of them. Uh, Malaysia is one of the very few Commonwealth countries that still haven't got a law commissions or law reform commissions uh, to look into laws that can be considered as arcade, considered as uh, draconian, and, and, and of course uh, to draft things uh, where is law as well. I fully support the setting up of the law commission in the country because uh, it will take the heat out from the uh, minister when it comes to deal with uh, public opinion on a certain law. Uh, the uh, unit in the AG chambers uh, is a unit that is uh, chaired by uh, the respective officer that has been in the in the chambers uh, for for a period of time. But the law commission will be chaired by uh, prominent, uh, maybe a retired judges, a prominent uh, professor of law, prominent uh, lawyers, and then it will be assisted uh, by hopefully uh, seven to nine uh, uh, commissioners uh, to look into the various uh, laws that has been. Uh, given to them uh, to look into. I think this progress is uh, well well underway at this moment and I hope that uh, the respective ministry and all the ministries will support this move uh, to have a law commission in the country. I'm engaging with all the relevant stakeholders, especially the Bar Council, who has been very, very supportive of this idea. They have even come out with uh, their uh, draft bills uh, to the government. Uh, We are looking to that and... And I hope that we will have a law commission by next year. So we do have um, kind of a series of questions from Adam, all of which are a little bit racially skewed. So I'm just going to ask one that I think is really important in terms of what the government does. And um, it is, what are the government's efforts to handle divergence in race relationship? And I, I, I understand that this might not be something that is just for the, the law uh, to address. But, you know, speaking as a member of this cabinet, you know, what 
is this something that is being looked at? Is this something that is being considered in terms of how to just ensure that what we've always had in terms of race relationship continues to be there or continues to improve, hopefully? Yes. I think it is very important that the relationship with each other will have to continue uh, to progress. I mean, my relationship with you, right, is based on the understandings that uh, we are here, both as the citizens of this country. I think it's important that, uh, as I said just now, that we look at what we have in common uh, rather than what uh, we don't have and then uh, uh, criticise and then uh, make it an issue out of it. Uh, but I believe that... Uh, uh, there, there is no division. This, this, uh, this uh, sections of this, uh, this uh, probably the political spheres out there uh, trying to divert us and distract us, uh, you know, from the uh, unity that we have in the country since independence. I think, in general, I'm quite happy to note that uh, the people can 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 live together harmoniously. I think Malaysia is a wonderful country so where we can all, the, you know, share the. Uh, common interests and that uh, work together and ensure that uh, we we will progress together. I think this is this is very important. Having independence uh, since 1957 uh, for Malaya is concerned, and then for Sabah and Sarawak uh, we joined in 1963. So this has been a, a, a very progressive uh, uh, world. I think uh, everyone uh, wants to ensure that uh, you know Malaysia will continue to progress. Uh, uh, now and also in futures. Our lines are open if you have any questions. Again, the number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, and tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's talk about the IPCMC bill, which just been tabled. Uh, you know, what impact do you foresee the bill having? Okay, the, before I go into the impacts, I think we have to see that we have about one hundred and fifty thousand police officers in the countries and then we have about 300 uh, police stations and we have to thank every single one of them because it is because of them that uh, we are able to sleep soundly at night because some of them will go on the street and some of them will patrol the street to ensure that our neighborhood is safe and sound but unfortunately of course uh, throughout the years uh, since the formation of the police force in our countries uh, there are some bad apples uh, that we have to look at, and hence we have the uh, formation of the independence uh, police commissions to look into the uh, complaints of misconduct of the police. Uh, I think the impacts will be more on the on the the end user, mean, meaning to say that the police officers, because they're the one that are affected by this IPCMC. Uh, uh, so uh, we we are looking into that, and uh, at this moment, uh, progress has been made uh, tremendously. Uh, engagement has been made uh, with all the relevant stakeholders in the last uh, one month, uh, and and they are very happy that uh, uh, we are actually accommodating to some of the proposals uh, made by the civil societies uh, to amend some of the provisions in the bills. At the same time, I'm also uh, being meeting up with the. Association of the Police uh, Forces, because they have uh, quite a number of associations, also the management of the police force uh, to hear from them as well. So by the time uh, we have the second reading in October, I expect uh, some amendment to be made in the uh, bill itself. And what are some of those amendments? Uh, we'll be to look into the uh, 
power and the functions and also the appointments of the commission because uh, some are complaining that uh, we are giving the prime minister uh, too much power in regards to the appointment and then also uh, with regard to the function and also I think uh, with the complaints procedures and the complaints uh, issues. And there are some who said that uh, uh, on the misconduct, uh, what about if the police has committed uh, 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 an offence which is uh, criminal in nature, right? Uh, then that issue will have to be dealt with uh, by the police force itself because uh, criminality is the purview of the police. But of course, there are issues like bribery, uh, corruption that will be dealt with by the uh, the MACC. So we have to, to look into the complaints, the nature of the complaints that has been brought against a particular officers. There are complaints maybe to say that, uh, you know, the police officers has not been uh, doing his job and then I make a complaint to the police station and about uh, this particular case and that particular case and taken the police about three months and things like that. Uh, these are the complaints that uh, that uh, that may be may not be looked into by the IPCMC because this probably have to do with the discipline and the the, the police uh, thing. But of course, we have uh, complaints about maybe the death in custody, right? And then probably uh, death outside custody or maybe during detention and all that. Uh, these are the uh, cases that can be looked into by the IPCMC. They will investigate the matter and they can also uh, set up a task force to investigate and and deal with it. We're speaking today um, with Dato Liu Vui Kiong, who is the de facto Minister of Law in the Prime Minister's Department. If you have any questions, uh, do call us at double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Break from mediocrity. BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 5.47 in the evening. You're with Lynn and Kelvin. And um, also, of course, live in the studio with us, Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, Law Minister in the Prime Minister's Department. And uh, before that, we were talking about the issue of the IPCMC. And I think, Datuk, you gave us quite a kind of comprehensive overview of all the different conversations that have gone into this, um, all the different areas that it will be covering. However, uh, there have also, of course, part of why those conversations have been important is because there have been issues raised along the way. Part of that being the Malaysian Bar Council. Um, and the main thrust of what they've said is that the IGP being part of the disciplinary board that investigates police misconduct is potentially an area of conflict. Uh, does having the IGP on board pose a conflict of interest? Well, we have to consider that. Uh, I think if there is a particular complaint uh, against the uh, police officers, I think the AGP will have to, uh, to, to ensure that uh, partiality will have its place here and then uh, to disclose a particular interest, uh, the, the conflict of interest in this particular case. But if there is a complaint against the IGP himself, then the provision under IPCMC provides that... Uh, uh, another body we look into that. Uh, the body in this case is the uh, state, uh, the the KSN, which is the Ketua uh, Setiausaha Negara, uh, to look into that, and that uh, he will have to appoint uh, maybe the three to uh, up to seven uh, members uh, to look into the complaints against the particular IGP. So the 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 the, the police uh, force will not have that power to look into the complaint of the IGP. So there will be somebody which is much higher than the IGP uh, in terms of ranking 
in the government uh, to look into the particular complaints. So this uh, process has been uh, going on with the uh, respective uh, uh, civil societies that uh, have raised their concern on this particular issue. We have taken note of that and and uh, the, the amendment, if any, uh, will be given to them uh, before we table the, the further amendment in parliament. But why not place the investigation under the IPCMC? In fact, the investigation is done by the IPCMC. We must not forget that uh, if there is a particular uh, issues that is of public interest, the IPCMC can even set up a task force, a task force to look into that. So in this particular case, let's say the IGP is involved in it, mm. right? They can even set up a task force to look into the uh, matter, investigate it, everything, and then pass it to the case end letter. So it is quite independent in that respect. And then, of course, there are other uh, issues that uh, if it arose a public interest, then the uh, then then the task force, the IPCMC, will look into it and set up a task force. So I think that is one of the major aspects that we have to accommodate uh, to ensure that uh, uh, the the the. I think the other important thing is also to look into the welfare of the police. Yeah, uh, they, they they have been uh, also requesting uh, that their welfare to be to be to to be looked at, including their living conditions, salaries, and all that. We have accommodated the uh, request by the police force as well and to put that into the IPCMC. So we have um, a very simple question here from Raja Ram on WhatsApp, who just wants to know: What about the Printing Presses and Publications Act? Right. I think uh, that one is uh, is one of the laws that I'm looking at, and I'm giving myself the timelines. Uh, maybe sometimes in uh, 2020s uh, to 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 have uh, 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 progress on that. Okay. Well, we're going to follow up on that with you <laughs> sure, now that we have will. you and your number. You know, we're going to call. So I just want to briefly touch on international conventions, some of which we tried to sign on to not have been very successful. I guess here you have parties willing to politicize them, even if they aren't necessarily directly impacted uh, by these international conventions. What's the game plan from the government? You know, is the government's messaging strong enough to counter uh, that it might affect certain privileges and certain rights? Yeah, as we have seen uh, in the last uh, few months, uh, it is quite unfortunate uh, certain uh, quarters have played up with the sentiments uh, of the uh, people here in the countries and then uh, give a distorted uh, view and information about uh, certain international treaties. I think these are the, the, the things that uh, we have to be very careful and to be cautious about and to ensure that uh, we do not... Uh, Necessarily disturb the racial sentiments uh, in the country. So the government uh, will have to be uh, proactive and to be extremely uh, cautious because, as I said, that's now our country is a multiracial country. We have to continue to preserve that. And then uh, the government will take the, the stance to ensure that inter international treaty is, is uh, well taken care of. At the same time, the uh, racial tension in the country also uh, preserved. So um, we have seen Tun Mahade speaking recently about reviewing labour laws in order to reduce over-dependence on foreign labour. Is this something that you're also looking into? Yeah, this one is, up, in fact, uh, looked after by my uh, colleague, uh, the Minister uh, Kula in the Ministry of uh, Human Resource. Uh, he's looking at it uh, actively and I believe that uh, the bill will be tabled uh, soon to ensure that uh, uh, we have... We have uh, workers uh, to work in our countries, right? 
I think important that uh, we give job opportunity also to our uh, to our people. I would like to, I mean, I think we spoke about this a little bit further, but I'd also like to understand the relationship between, so for example, um, if we have uh, Minister Kulasegren looking into this issue um, and that falls within his ministry, but then you are also, you know, covering, your portfolio covers law, at what point is there an intersection? At what point is there a collaboration? Um, or do they run on, you know, separate tracks? Well, as I said, because uh, there are certain uh, laws that are under the purview of the respective ministry, I will not have that uh, liberty to encroach into their uh, jurisdictions yeah. unless uh, we, we agree to it. Like I have agreed with uh, the Home Ministry and also the Ministry of Health to look into the uh, drugs matter and decriminalization of some of the, the drugs. So we have, we have agreed to that and, and, and uh, we have set up uh, we are setting up a Jiaotan Kwasa as well to to deal with all this issue on drugs. Now, in July, Tun Mahathir said that the government will replace the Official Secrets Act with a Freedom of Information Act that's still in the works. How is that coming along? All right. Uh, I have also uh, looked into that and uh, looked into the uh, one that had been passed in the Salangos state government as well as the one in Penang. But uh, this one is concerning the whole country. And I hope to be able to table that uh, Freedom Information Act uh, sometimes uh, next year. Um, my next question, I think, is also, again, more to do with your role as, as minister um, and also as MP. Do you ever have to contend with any conflict that might arise from your personal views and how you personally feel about you know, laws or reforms that are needed and then the line that's held by, by the party or by the cabinet, by the, the government in terms of laws needing to be abolished or not? Yeah, I think uh, we have to understand the concept of collective responsibility. I think that is applicable to, in the government, uh, in the world. It is important that uh, every minister will have to abide by the decision made by the Cabinet. If not, uh, you know, then he will have to take a stand either to to resign if he is not agreeable with the cabinet decision. But there are times that a particular minister may have a private view on a particular issue. That view will have to be kept private because he may, he may give his view uh, during cabinet meetings and all that. But once cabinet, uh, we have about twenty eight of us in the. Cabinet, and once we have decided that uh, this is the decision made by the cabinet, that will have to stand. Even as the prime minister said, he will have to abide by the cabinet decisions. We have a question here from Subra that asks: Is there a plan to place CCTVs in prisons and police station to reduce deaths during custody? I think we already have that uh, CCTVs uh, in certain detention center. Uh, I, I, I'm still t- checking up on that because I'll be visiting uh, some of the police station with, the, of course, uh, the, the blessings from the Home Ministry because this uh, police force is under under Home Ministry. But uh, the minister has uh, kindly t- allowed that. And I'm looking into that. And I'm also looking into the prison reforms in the country because uh, we have about 70,000 prison now in our prison and about 56% of them are all drug-related offenders, which is quite unfortunate. And, and some of the offenders are in there because of some, uh, some something that they have possessed in their uh, body or they, they're being uh, checked as uh, 
positive in the urine and that sort of thing. So they would go in for like uh, three years, five years, and 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 when they come out, uh, I think they will become like uh, you know a problem to the families, uh, to the society, and they will have problems of getting jobs. And I was told uh, under the study by certain groups that. Uh, 95% of them will go back to prison. And I strongly believe that uh, some of the drug offenders uh, need uh, treatment instead of uh, imprisonment. So these are the things that I'm actively looking at with uh, certain MPs and also certain, uh, uh, certain civil societies, plus the government's officers to come up with uh, best solutions uh, to cater these uh, offenders so that uh, our prison will not be overpopulated uh, by these uh, drug offenders, they need to me, uh, you know, uh, treatment rather than imprisonment. So, Dato, earlier you mentioned a timeline. You know, you're giving yourself till 2020, I think, to look at, uh, was it the Printing Presses and Publications yes. Act? Yes. Um, so, with that in mind then, considering the term that you have, do you think that Pakatan will be able to succeed with all promised reforms? Uh, we must accept the... Uh, you know the sayings that Rome is not built in one day, right? A reform process, as I said, uh, sometimes it takes a generation. It's some of the law that had been passed by the British uh, colonies uh, when they were with us uh, then before independence uh, had uh, still with us. So, so it's, it's a long and uh, tough uh, journey. It's a very complicated uh, journey, but then it is uh, not... Uh, not uh, not uh, saying that it cannot be done. I think uh, it can be done. And we have started, uh, I think, in our country, I think, with the uh, voting edge, allowing our young people uh, to vote at the age of 18, and then also to allow them to become the candidates in the future election, in the coming election, in fact. Uh, the, all the consequential law will be amended uh, by by the, this this uh, parliamentary session, and with that, uh, all is set uh, for them to become a voter and also for them to become candidate. On top of that, we also have amended our law to uh, to allow uh, automatic uh, voter registrations. So that will mean that uh, by the next uh, general election, we will have almost uh, 22.7 million voters out of 33 million uh, populations. So which is about 70%. This is in itself a significant uh, change in the country because it has basically changed the whole political landscape in our country. So uh, there are, of course, uh, many other reforms that uh, we have done, uh, uh, but uh, like, you know, amending the constitution on Article 1-2 to uh, make Sabah and Sarawak uh, uh, equal partners uh, mm. together with uh, uh, here in Peninsula. So this is the thing that uh, I think will be failed over time and that uh, people will realize that uh, the Pakatan Harapan government has actually started reforming uh, since we took over last year. It's only one year plus now. <laughs> as against uh, the 60 years that we have before, right? So I think uh, given us time, uh, we will be able to fulfill all the uh, reform promises that we made in our manifesto. Datuk, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been speaking with Datuk Liu Vui Kiong, uh, de facto law minister in the Prime Minister's Department. This has been uh, your monthly Movers and Shakers Town Hall on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, bfm 89.9, the business station.